Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 4. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. These guys are representing the devil. What are you, you feeble Jews? You can't build anything. You guys are perfumers and goldsmiths and, 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 and you're not qualified to do this work. And notice when Nehemiah, I love verse four, look at it again. Nehemiah, notice his response. I love it. It's prayer. Nehemiah didn't debate. He didn't form a committee. He didn't even deal with their, with these enemies. He doesn't get caught up in this nonsense and he doesn't allow the people to get caught up in this nonsense. Notice in verse four, Nehemiah took it to the Lord in prayer. He doesn't talk to them. He talks to God. Nehemiah said, Lord, hear their prayer and turn their reproach upon them. And God, please send them into captivity. Don't you love that? Don't you see that in the text? It's right there. Read your Bibles right there. Lord, please send them into captivity. As a matter of fact, God, while you're at it, send them to hell. Look at verse five. I didn't make that up. Do not cover their sin and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you. God, while you're at it, let them go to hell. That's what he's saying there. And notice he says, God, don't blot out their sins. Remember their sins. You would expect Nehemiah to be much more spiritual, wouldn't you? You would, wouldn't you? (laughs) You would expect Nehemiah to say, oh, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. No, Nehemiah said, God, send them to hell. (laughs) Nehemiah didn't play. Love me some Nehemiah. I do. Nehemiah didn't play. Nehemiah wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't be the first to pray like that. I think of David, who prayed about his enemies. If you know your Bible, you know this is right. David, a man after God's own heart, prayed, Lord, let the angels of the Lord run them down, smash their faces, and break their teeth in their mouth in Jesus' name. <laughs> right? Right? When Jesus said, and see, look, that that even gives even more weight to when Jesus said, love your enemies. Woo, that's tough. It's difficult. Most of us are like Nehemiah and David. Nehemiah just gets straight to it. My point is, listen, the enemy is threatening and Nehemiah prayed. Nehemiah didn't put the gloves on and get in the ring with these guys. But as soon, because as soon as you get in the ring, it becomes your battle. And you go from a spectator to a participant. You're saying, Lord, I can handle this. Just watch me work. No, you want the Lord to fight your battles. Like Greg Laurie says, and I love it. He says, when Satan knocks at my door, I say, Lord, would you get that? (laughs) I love that. 
Nehemiah responds, he doesn't react because he knows it's not his wall, it's God's wall. Notice in verse 6, they built the wall, the entire wall was joined together up to half the height for the people had a mind to work. A mind to work is a gift from God. And no job will ever get done until people come together with a mind to work. Now, beginning in verse 7, they change their strategy. Mockery and laughing at the Jews isn't working. So they need to change gears. Notice in verse 7, if you're looking at verse 7, I want you to say I'm looking at it. Now it happened when Samballot and Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Then Judah said, now get this, y'all. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing, and there's so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversaries said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. And so it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came, that they told us 10 times, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with swords and spears and bows. And I looked and I arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them, Underline this in your Bible. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren. Fight for your sons. Fight for your daughters. Fight for your wives. And fight for your houses. Notice Sam Ballot and Tobiah and a few others heard the walls are going up, and they became angry. Sam Ballot is a Samaritan. That's north of Jerusalem. The Arabs, they are probably not Saudis. These guys are from the south. The Ammonites are from the east, and the Ashdodites are from the west. Notice the warfare is coming at God's people from every direction. Do you ever feel like that? Satan's attacking you from every direction. Verse 8 tells us all of them conspired together to come against Jerusalem. And it's very interesting because none of these guys were friends previous to Israel rebuilding. But enemies become frenemies toward a common enemy. Isn't that true? I think of the Herodians and, and, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They didn't get along. They had totally different beliefs. They did not get along although they join forces to come against Jesus to crucify him. So the warfare is coming from every direction, and these guys who hate each other are now friends to stand against righteousness. You know, I've seen this happen in the church. Now listen, believe it or not, believe, look, at it, look at me, believe it or not, there are people who don't like me. I know, it's hard to believe. I, I know, it's shocking. Like, fall out of your seat, shocking. There are people who don't like me. And to this day, I don't understand why. I'm a really nice guy. 
And so, but it's true. Thank you, one person. <laughs> and, uh, but people, you know, I noticed that, you know, um, people who talk about each other, you know, when it came to, let me see if I say this the best way. When it came to like hate Pastor Rodney month, they were best friends. I mean, really. And yet I've seen, I know this to be true, I've seen them talk about each other. And I've had to stop them from talking about each other. And nobody in this room, okay? But I, I had to stop them from talking about each other. But when it came to hate Pastor Rodney month, they became best friends. They left the church and then they go back to being enemies. Really interesting. And you guys know, I honestly, when people start talking about each other, I do not, I do not ask my family, ask my wife, ask my son sitting on the front row, ask my friends who know me well. I do not tolerate people talking about each other. I don't tolerate it. I don't like it. I think it's poisonous. I think it's dangerous. It's certainly ungodly. I don't ever let people backbite, not in my presence. My family is in, most of my family is in this room right now. They will tell you, I don't allow it. That's not what we do in the Finch house. Not only that, but I think it's bad for your children to hear you talking about people at church. Now, I know I'm talking to somebody here, but I'm not going to ask you to stand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't let people hear your children hear you talking about people at church because when they come to church, look, you might get to the point where you can forgive them or you can move on or you can deal with them or you can do whatever you want, but you're damaging their heart and you're poisoning them against the things of God. So when they get older, they see enough hypocrisy in the home. When they get old enough, they don't have to come to church. They won't. They won't. How, how is it that you see whole families in ministry for years and years to come? How does that happen? Because the mother and the father set a good tone and a good example in the house so the kids grew up having a healthy understanding of God and church and how to walk with God and how to pray for people and how to love people. And the kids have witnessed that for so many years that when they get older, you don't have to tell them you need to go to church. They come to church. None of my kids live in my house. They're at church all the time. I've never had to get my kids up like, you better get to church. We're not going to have this in this house. I've never had to do that. Never, because they were not poisoned against church, even though things were horrible at times. People talk about me and Miss Elvira like y'all would not believe. Y'all my family? Wednesday night? Y'all all right? You're going to be all right. People talk about us like crazy. All the time, somebody got something to say. And I'm shocked because they have something to say to everybody else, but nobody ever says anything to me. Mm-hmm. Oh, Lord. <laughs> say out your amen. <laughs> yep, and nobody ever say anything to me. Never, 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 <laughs> never. They go out there and do all this talking. My kids see that. My kids hear that. But I've raised them to understand that they are to look to Jesus. And they never heard me or my wife backbiting or talking about people or putting people down. And yeah, you have your feelings. And yeah, you have a a moment or whatever, whatever. But that's not the overall tenor in my house. 
And if it is in your house, can I encourage you? Listen, stop it and apologize to your children. Tell them it wasn't right and don't ever let them hear. Come out of your mouth again. I'm trying to help you. I'm, I'm just trying to help you. Listen, if you're not wise enough to listen, that's on you. I don't know what to tell you. Apologize to them and stop it. You're hurting them because when they get to a certain age, you're going to have a problem on your hands. If you can't get them to understand the things of God now, you're going to have a problem on your hands. In the world we live in today and the way kids are being talked to and spoken to and the world is twisting their minds and giving them phone numbers. If you don't like what happens in your house, call this number and tell them you've been abused. Come on, y'all. I'm just keeping it 100. That's all. Thank you. I'm going to do that too, by the way. We got to get a hold of this thing called Christianity and our witness and our example before our children and, and, and our example uh, before God. Don't let people do that to you and don't let people let you become their trash can. I told my friends, don't let people gossip to you and don't let people pour their bitterness into you. Somebody come to me and say something, I'll stop and hey, hold it. Have you spoken to that person about it? Nope. Well, you shouldn't be telling me. If you first didn't talk to God and you haven't talked to them, why are you talking to me? Uh -huh, I'm going to wait while you clap your hands. Why are you talking to me? So that's a whole other red flag right there. Now you're going to tell me something you haven't told them. You got to stop people. And people continue. See, I told you, critics find critics. Judgmental people find judgmental people. Gossiping people find gossiping people. Isn't that, isn't that interesting how that happens? They find them. You know why? Because they say a little something and you say a little something. They say a little something and you say a little something. Before they know it, they go, you're one I can chat with. Stop them. And if you're really not good at stopping people, then when people gossip, you know, I told you how to handle gossipers before. And people gossip and they have something to say. They're talking about other people and criticizing people. You just stand there and stare at them. Just stare and don't say a word. Just stare at them. <laughs> just stare at them. If that don't work, just run away screaming your head off. <laughs> and I guarantee you they'll never come back to you again because they'll think you're crazy. <laughs> but we've got to stop it. We've got to stop that kind of thing and not allow that to happen in the church. Listen, Satan has no respect of persons when it comes to spiritual warfare. And just because you're in God's will doesn't mean you won't have warfare. Think about this. Nehemiah is in God's will. Clearly, this is not a situation of maybe we're not, you know, where God wants us. They are right where God wants them. God has opened the door to be there, for them to be there. Nehemiah spoke to the king and everything was a green light. Nehemiah it was to go to Jerusalem and begin to build, but right in the middle of the building, listen, or right in the middle of God's perfect will, they experience opposition. I think of Matthew 14. A lot of ministry was taking place. You know the story, and Jesus told his disciples to get in the boat and go to the other side. And while they're in the boat, a storm comes out of nowhere. And the question is, did Jesus know the storm was coming? Absolutely. So we can conclude that Jesus made them get in the boat so that they would experience the storm. So we learn obedience to God may come with storms in your life. 
I've said this before. There's no storm-free zones in the Christian life. Christians are not exempt from trials and tribulations. In my 30 years of being a Christian, I've had some tremendous storms. Hey, I'm going through one right now. Right now. Going through one right now. Somebody once said, in the Christian life, you're either coming out of a storm, going into the storm, or in the middle of a storm. And there's different kinds of storms. We've talked about this here at Calvary Chapel that God uses. There are corrective storms and perfecting storms. Correction storms are allowed to correct disobedience, Jonah. Perfective storms are allowed to mature you to prove what you're worth, Job. Are you getting me? But the most important thing is that you are in God's will. Think about it. It was God who told the disciples to get in the boat. It's the Lord who brought them to the storm, and God will bring them through the storm. Somebody once said, if God brings you to it, he'll bring you, anybody know the rest? Through it. The safest place is to be in the will of God, even if that place is in the storm. So, what you going through tonight? What's the problem? Sickness? Perhaps God allowed that to come to you. He's going to heal you. And you're going to have a testimony. Somebody get happy about that. (laughs) And you're going to have a testimony. But he's brought you to it so he can build a testimony. And how can you tell tell people God's a healer if you've never really been healed? And how can you tell people that God is a provider if you've never been in a position where you needed to be provided for? And how can you tell people that God is a miracle-working God if you never had God work a miracle in your life? I'll wait. So you want to be in God's perfect will. You do not listen. You do not want to be in God's permissive will. You want God's perfect will. The enemies of God's people were just laughing and mocking in verses 8 and 9. Just go ahead and peruse right there. But now they're actually planning an attack in verse 8. So notice Nehemiah, what he does. We made our prayers in verse 9 and set uh, anybody looking at it? Watch. They do the spiritual, get this, they do the spiritual and they do the practical. There's something very spiritual when you do something very practical. Sometimes I think people think that they're separate. Some people think that it's spiritual to just sit and wait for God to do something. Listen, you don't do that when you want a sandwich, do you? (laughs) These are just things I sit at my desk and think about. You don't do this when you want a sandwich, do you? You don't just sit there and say, you know what? I pray I get a sandwich. Lord. Lord, if it's your will, Lord, <laughs> Lord, if it's your will that I eat, then the refrigerator will open up and the ham will come out and wheat bread will come out and the lettuce will float out and the mayonnaise and everything will be right there and the sandwich will make itself. If it's your will, God, no. You don't do that. It's a practical thing. You get up. You open the door, you get the stuff, and you make a sandwich. And by the way, I think at least I've, I've even seen people eating 
was a very spiritual thing. I've watched people eat and they look like they were worshiping. So eating and eating. <laughs> There's a spiritual and practical thing there. So they set a watch. Okay, let's get more spiritual. They set a watch and they prayed. And we see the same thing. I want you to write this down. We see the same thing in the New Testament. Luke 21, 36. Watch and pray. Mark 14, 38. Jesus said to Peter, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. Ephesians 6, 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, watching with all perseverance. Notice, watch and pray. That's a balance. Somebody once called it sanctified common sense. Some Christians have no sanctified common sense. And notice in verse 10, very interesting in verse 10. I want you to look at it again. Judah said the strength of the laborers are failing. In other words, there's excitement and the newness of the project is wearing off. Now listen, Satan's bag of tricks is pretty deep, but not very original. Satan couldn't affect them from without, so now he begins within. The tribe of Judah starts grumbling and complaining. Judah was the strongest and bravest tribe. Judah was the tribe of the great kings and ultimately Jesus himself. So discouraging words coming out of their mouth was especially discouraging. Middle way of the project, everybody's tired. They don't feel like continuing. And Judah says, hey, our strength is failing us. In other words, we're exhausted. We're worn out. And Judah starts grumbling and complaining. Grumbling is contagious. And it doesn't take much for it to spread. They said, Nehemiah, there's a lot of trash and rubbish to remove. And we're not able to build the walls for the trash and the rubbish in verse 10. So the enemy knows if mockery doesn't work, then he'll try to assault and attack. And if that doesn't work, then he'll try to discourage you. Second Corinthians 2, 11. We are not ignorant of Satan's tactics. And if that doesn't work, then he uses someone in the church to keep you from doing what God has called you to do. So notice, they said the rubbish is everywhere. We're never going to get through this mess in verse 10. Are you looking at it? You see, at this point, they're losing focus and focusing on the wrong thing. Instead of looking at how far they've come, now they're looking at how far they got to go. Keep in mind, the walls have been torn down for hundreds of years, so there's a lot of rubbish that's collected over time. But think about it. Clearing out the garbage wasn't an option. It had to be done. If they didn't do it, it would have continued to build up and destroy them. The same is true of Christianity. God can't use you until you clear out the rubbish, take out the garbage, clear out your thought life, clear out your magazine collection, clear out your computer, Clear out your mind. The Bible calls it renew your mind. You renew your mind by reading the Bible. Put God's word in. And if you do, you'll push out the garbage. Somebody once said, garbage in, garbage out. Rubbish in, rubbish out. Good stuff in, good stuff out. When the rubbish continues to build up, that's what the Bible calls being conformed by the world. When your mind is renewed by the word of God, you're transformed by the Holy Spirit. So whatever you're doing with the rubbish, that determines your condition, conformed or transformed. Notice in verse 11, the enemy is saying we're going to ambush them to cause the work to cease. Listen, that's the whole point. In verse 11, you can write that in your margin. This is the whole point, to cause the work to cease. And obviously some Jews were in earshot of their comments. So they 
came and note this 10 times. Are you looking at that in verse 12? They came 10 times and said, from wherever you go, you guys turn, they're going to be upon us. Now they're already dealing with discouragement. And now Danny Downer comes 10 times. Hey, wherever you turn, they're going to be there. Wherever you turn, they're going to be there. Man, these are kind of like Eeyore Christians. Oh, no, we're going to die. Oh, no, we're going to be killed. Look, just tell me once. Okay, these guys come 10 times. Now, in Deuteronomy, God gave them specific instructions on going to war. If you got married, you were supposed to stay home for one year. Write this down. Deuteronomy 20, verse 8. As a matter of fact, I think I have it for you on the screen. Deuteronomy 20, verse 8. I do. The officer shall speak further to the people and say, What man is there who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return to his house, lest the heart of his brethren faint like his heart. In other words... God, in his infinite wisdom, knows when you're getting ready for battle. If you have a guy who is scared and worried about everything and he's sweating and the battle hasn't even started yet, send that guy home. Nobody can go to battle with a baby. Fear infects everybody. These guys are telling Nehemiah 10 times. It gets a little discouraging. 10 times. Over and over again. I'm stuck there 10 times, over and over. And instead of, you know, using his tongue to encourage and lift up, he's using his tongue to discourage and bum out. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light. Let me be a salt.